Calling all moms. In this episode of Elisha's Space, we dive into the joys and challenges of motherhood with the incredible Dr. Lene Richardson. Join us as we explore the unique experiences that come with being a mom. Hey there, audience of Elisha's Space. I am just so excited to have you guys all part of the show today, and I am super excited about our guests. I welcome you to the safe space of healing, where you will get that support you need, the resources you need, the hope and the encouragement that maybe you're looking for. You'll get that here on this podcast. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Linnea Richardson of Melanated Women. And there's a lot that Dr. Richardson and I could talk about, to be quite honest with you all, because we agree with a lot overall, foundationally. But today, we're going to talk about the topic of mothering. This is something she's very passionate about, something that means a lot to her. And I just want to give her a space so that she can share her heart and just talk with you all about that topic because it gets tiring sometimes being in that role of a mother. And mothering doesn't just apply to if you have the pleasure of giving birth to a child, but also if you're in that role, you can be a neighbor, you can be a family member. You can be a friend. If you happen to have a connection with someone where you're within that role of mothering, that's how we're using that word. So Dr. Richardson, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show and for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here too. Could you start out by sharing just a little bit about your background and how you got this passion about working with people within that arena of mothering? Sure. So I guess I can start by giving just a little bit of background in terms of my professional background and then talk about my personal background and how those two things converge and how it led to where I'm at now and talking about mothering and motherhood. So I'm a counseling psychologist. My undergrad was in psychology. My master's is in counseling and I have a PhD in counseling psychology. So I always tell people I just married the two. And when you think about psychology and you understand at the basic level, when people talk about psychology, they talk about understanding the mind, right? Studying the mind. And with counseling, we often talk more about this idea of supporting someone, helping them to get through a problem. For my clients, I often introduce this idea of even when you go to a lawyer, right? They talk about you just need some good counsel, right? You need someone to give you some good information. And that's really back my background in terms of professionally. And I've worked with children, adults. I did neuropsychological testing in my training. I've done substance abuse. But how I got into maternal mental health or perinatal mental health was really after I had my own daughter, my first child. In 2018, I had my daughter in September and I had a pretty I would say easy. I use that word to describe the pregnancy. Like I didn't have morning sickness and some of the things that people often talk about that the struggle of pregnancy besides some fatigue and things like that. But when I had my daughter, when I had to give birth to her, I had this birth plan of having a natural birth, no medicine, just as natural as it could be vaginally and all of those things. And then 
after not only being two weeks overdue, once I got to the hospital and I was in active labor, I never dilated past seven centimeters. And this was like after hours and hours of waiting. And so nevertheless, I ended up having to have a C-section. Of course, it was unplanned. It wasn't even on my mind and my purview in terms of having to have a C-section. And so ever since that experience and really going through that I talk more about that in other platforms, and I share my story often. That really led me to think about maternal mental health. I really started to think about where do women go when they have experiences like this? What happens for women who have these birth traumas and challenges? What are the options? And that was my journey. That was my search. I started looking online, understanding more about maternal mental health and, and trying to figure out how to actually, again, work in the field. I think about when I was pregnant with the twins. Now, I think, audience, in case you don't know, I've never had one child. I had twins as my first children. So I've never had one child. And so they were really encouraging, you're going to have these babies natural. And I'm like, yeah, gung-ho, I'm going to do it because I am an overachiever. And so here I am. And the twins, by the way, are four hours apart. And one was born natural and the other one was born cesarean. So I had this huge plan. And then because of the, I would say, the pressure or the lack of understanding, you feel like, oh man, I didn't have a natural, something must not be okay. You know what I'm saying? And that is like trauma to a degree because you feel like you're letting people down. But I really think that we need more resources and education on this topic because Mm -hmm. it's just not a lot out there, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think that part of the work that I do is sometimes helping people to tell their story, to retell that narrative. So some people definitely feel disappointed in terms of they wanted to have a natural birth, whether that's without, like when we say without medication, we're talking about an epidural or without any type of intervention, or even sometimes when you have a vaginal birth, some people still get an epidural. So there's different layers and levels of of natural Mm -hmm. birth and Mm -hmm. a cesarean as well. So you can have, again, a planned cesarean, which I had for my second birth, or you have an emergency cesarean. And I always tell with my daughter, I was in between because I labored for so long and she wasn't coming. I ended up, they had to do the intervention. So there definitely are levels and layers to it. And so some people will come to therapy to talk through that experience as well, to try to process and tell that narrative about what happened. And like you said, the experience they had related to it. So what would you say are some challenges that mothers face within that role of mothering that you've come across? Just a generic question. I know that's a big yeah. I was going to say, what don't mothers? Is this like a hello? Is this podcast? But I yes. was say, what I was going to say is, what don't mothers face? Um, and <laughs> that is really actually a tough question to answer. There's a range of issues that mothers face in today's society, but I guess if I'm thinking from my perspective with the work that I do, I often work with Black and Brown women. So to right. most of my clients are, are Black women, and I have worked with non-Black women as well. So one common thread I believe that happens. Um, And I'll come back to specifically with Black women. But one common thread with mothers, I think, in general, is this idea of, uh, like, when you say challenges, I guess the thing to me is, like, you use the word pressure. I think there's a pressure Mm -hmm. to be a specific type of mother, right? So to mother in a specific way. And so I think we have the ideal mothers. You have all your TV show moms from the 90s, right? Claire Huxtable and who else? Any mother on TV, right? She's always got it together. 
House always clean, hair always done. House is always done. She never looks frazzled. She always figures it out. She has multiple kids and and she has a good job, right? She's balancing if she is a mom and a worker or she's a stay at home mom. So you have these kind of images of motherhood. And so the challenge, if I had to say from that perspective, is that you have to fit this mold of what motherhood looks like. For Black women, I think the challenge is that they've never really fit that mold. (laughs) There's never been a time, and I don't want to say never, but in terms of since we've been in the U.S., sometimes you got to go back to come to where we are. So if you talk about it in the context of the United States, Black women have never had the opportunity to just be mothers. They've always had to work. So even when they have this discussion around women's rights and the suffrage movement and voting and, and working, Black women actually were always working outside of the home. Or even if they were working in the home, they had to work and mother. So we have this kind of false narrative that motherhood is one way, and it's never been that way for people who don't fit the stereotype of motherhood in America. And for the most part, that means if you're not a white woman or a white mother, then you probably don't fit the mold of what motherhood is. And so when we say Black women and then Brown women, we're talking about pretty much all other women who've migrated to the U.S. or who might speak a different language, have a different ethnicity, and things like that. I totally agree. I think that a lot of times the idea of what a mother is does not fit the reality of what a mother is. Like when you think about it, a new mom is extremely tired. A lot of times a new mom finds herself even working before that six week and eight week mark. She's trying to find things to do to bring income. She doesn't have food on the table three days a week. A matter of fact, I think it's gotten a little bit better now because more people are doing meal trains and things like that. But I think the idea of what a mother is, or even for the mom, the idea of what she thinks a mother is versus the reality of what a mother is, is different. Right. So in that, there's also that range, too. So there are some mothers who can do that, Mm. but there are some mothers who can't. And so what happens is you compare yourself to the mothers who can and it makes you feel less than because you're not meal prepping because you don't have a meal train. And some women have different jobs. So there are some stay at home moms. So if you're a stay at home mom, it might be more realistic that you do have five meals a week prepared because you're home and you have the opportunity Mm -hmm. or if you have a support system. So maybe you do work, but you have a nanny or the grandparents are helping or supporting, or you have a spouse or you have the village that we often talk about that's missing. And so it ranges. Or if you have a single parent, a person who maybe is the only parent in the home, that's going to look different. Or, and if I'm, I'm going to the or, because this is the range that I see, you do have a partner who's home, but they still don't help. So there's such a range. And I think what you're bringing up is the point is that mothers, new moms especially, I think are often comparing themselves to other moms and they don't necessarily know the story of those other moms to know why this mom is able to cook five meals a a week or seven, right? right? They don't know the background. They don't know that they have a nanny. They don't know that they have additional resources or money or support. So those are some of those things that I think gets glossed over and then the mother often internalizes. So I do think those are some some of those important factors that get overlooked easily. What would you define to be, if you if you would even define it, quote unquote, mm-hmm. good mothering? What does that look like? What does a good mothering situation look like? So that's probably the tough question because there isn't a good 
mother. That's really what my goal is in working with mothers. And I'm using mothers and women because that's often how my clients identify. But I know we have people who call themselves the birthing person or they may not identify as women just because you're a mom doesn't mean you identify as a woman either. So I do want to put that out there. But in, in general, the people that I work with, like I said, they often identify as women and or mothers or both. And so my goal is to actually deconstruct this idea of good mothering. That in general, a person who is taking care of their child, who's all the things we say, the basics, feeding them, taking care of them, making sure their needs are met, doing the best that they can mentally and emotionally, physically to take care of their child is a good mom, is doing a good thing. They often have love for their child, people who really care and want the best for their child. I think they're doing a good job. In general, in life, can we do better? Of course. So what I would say is there might be some moms out there who could do better, but do they have the resources to do better? Do they have the support to do better? Do they have the opportunity to do more? Are they working a 16-hour-a-day job? That's going to take away from their ability to parent. So when I think about who's doing a good job and who's not, we have extremes. We're always going to have extremes. There's always going to be an outlier, right? There's always going to be people who do really excellent, like they are perfect almost, and there are going to be people who do a really bad job. Those are outliers, right? We see those news stories, those horrible, very sad and tragic stories of women who neglected their child to the point of death, right? Things we don't want to talk about. But if we think about that and that those scenarios, sometimes I do think we'll hear the story that those mothers were suffering. Sometimes they didn't have resources, they didn't have support, or knowing us as therapists, they maybe also had some kind of mental health thing going on. So I think we can almost see those as isolated events. But in general, most people really love their children, really want the best for them, don't always have the resources to take care of them to the degree maybe that they would like or that their child might need. So then that's where hopefully we come in, people like us or our community members or family members who see a mom struggling, like you said, especially a new mom, you see them struggling. Can you get on the mill train? Can you cover for an hour to babysit, to sit with the baby while mom gets some rest or takes a shower, right? Those basic needs that getting rest, eating, sleeping, even taking a shower, taking care of yourself. Those are things that I offer to my friends when they're new moms. I always, even if they say no, which is a lot of people do, I just want you to know if you ever got to the point that you couldn't, that there's somebody that's there, there's somebody that knows, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to need a shower <laughs> after having a baby and not taking the shower for three days. I know what it's like to realize I haven't slept since I had the baby. So being able to offer that support. Yes. And I, I feel like I got way away from that question, but. No, you're good. Do you answer the question? I don't think you can really pinpoint and say she's mm-hmm. a good mother because that word good is subjective. And I, in my personal opinion, I think a good mother is an individual that's doing the best she can. Mm-hmm. And no matter what space she's in to take care of herself and her children and allowing herself grace. Because it's not easy. I think it's one of the hardest jobs you can have. That I have to agree with 100%. And when you were talking, I was thinking about even mothers of special needs. That's an additional layer there. What is a good mother? I think it's the mom that's doing the best she can, personally. And all those resources and support is so important. It's so important to build community around that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think the hard part is you don't know what you don't know. So absolutely, really what ideally you would do is build the community before you have the baby. It wouldn't be that you wait until after you have the baby. It would be that while you're, when you're pregnant, it's those people that the first people you tell, it's the family, the friends, the, the neighbors who know you're having a baby and other moms of young children who can tell you things like, you might want to get on that wait list for a daycare because daycare waiting lists could be up to a year. Mm-hmm. Things that I learned after I had my son and my, with my daughter, I got lucky or I had my family member who told me about the daycare provider, but then the pandemic happened. So that was a whole nother story. But with my son, so because I didn't have that experience with my daughter, I didn't realize that was a thing that daycares have waiting lists. So those are things like you don't know this. And how would any new mom know that there's a waiting list for daycare? When you think about school, so you want to sign your child up for school, you just go to the school. So you don't think about those things. Or how do you know that when you're nursing, like I, like someone said, and I learned when they say the baby nurses every two hours or whatever that is, that's not really a full two hours. That's really more an hour and 15 minutes because you are switching and the baby's resting. And if you pump, you got to wash the pump in between. And so by the time you think you got that two hour period, it's really not two hours. So things like that, that you wouldn't know unless you had access to someone who's been there. So there's the community, the village that is missing oftentimes, ideally the mom could build that before they have the baby so that they're prepared, they have information. The more educated you are about a subject or a topic, the better you are able to manage it. So when we say the mom's doing the best that she can, yeah, she's doing the best she can with what she has. But if we give her more, give her access to more information, I'm here in Baltimore, there is Baltimore Healthy Start, like knowing that there are actually organizations out there that will support you. They offer support and guidance that they can get you connected to mental health services. They can get you connected to other moms, other programs I've been a part of. They offer diapers and clothes and all the things you need as a new mom uh, with a little one. What would you say about balance? Because a lot of moms, I'm sure the members of the audience that are listening today and are just feeling overwhelmed and they're like, how do I get my arms around things so that I have more balance, so that I have time for me, I have time for Mm -hmm. my job, I want to get my workout routine in somehow, as well as taking care of my children, they have to get ready for school, Mm -hmm. things like that. What kind of advice would you provide for them regarding balance? around that. So this is, again, another thing that I talk with clients often. One thing I think we have to step away from is thinking about balance as being 50-50. Because when you say that, not you, but we say that, we think balance means I have to be able to do 50%. I have to be good at this, like being a mother, and then I got to balance work. Or I have to balance work, motherhood, and being a wife or whatever that is. And so I like the idea of taking a step back away from that and looking at those things in that present moment. So for today, how much energy do I have to give to blank? I got 50% to give to work. I got about 20% to give to my husband. And I got 30% left. So really, sometimes it depends on the day. It depends on your, your 
mood because we, we have to consider like how am I sick? Because <laughs> sometimes it's wintertime, right? People start fall almost. We get sick and we don't have the energy. Sometimes you have you might have a busy like the for me, I'm a teacher, professor, right? So this is a busy season, the fall, having multiple classes. So I may not have the type of energy I normally have to give to my kids, but can I make the most of the time I do have for that? So if I only have that 30%, am I making the most of the 30%? So I encourage people to take a step back from just thinking about it as like, again, it's it has to be perfectly balanced, but think about it as in how much energy and time do you have to give to those different areas of your life and try how do you give the most that you can to those areas? And then I also recommend taking a step back before you switch gears. So like when you leave work, and actually, my, a lot of my clients, we talk about this and they're like, I didn't know I, I do that, but I didn't think about it like that. Before you go into the house, don't just turn the car off and walk right into the house. You might have to talk yourself up. I'm leaving work. <laughs> I'm, I'm no longer Dr. Richardson. I'm going to be mommy for the rest of the night. I know that means that when I'm trying to use the bathroom, someone will probably be there. If not inside the door with me, they will be knocking, right? So how do I prepare for that? How do I prepare for if I have to cook? Okay, I'm, what it, what, have I thought about the meal? No, I haven't thought about the meal. Maybe today is pizza because I really just don't have the energy, right? So really being able to talk through it and having a time to, I guess we would use the word decompress before you switch gears so that you are feeling grounded in the next area and the next space that you're going to. Okay. Okay. I think balance is such an important topic because I always find it, especially as the children get older, to be a work in progress. It's like you're always trying to play to a degree, some form of catch up, because once you get used to something, there's a shift. I have little kids, so I always tell people that like I'm coming from that early motherhood stage and I'm going, moving into my daughter just started kindergarten. So now I'm moving into having one toddler and one school aged child. So I do think that's the other piece of what you're talking about is that shift in adjustments in motherhood. So knowing that there are different phases of childhood that will coincide, of course, with motherhood. So the way you mother will shift and change as your children get older, mm-hmm. idea, ideally, <laughs> you wouldn't have to put as much, it would be a different type of energy, but you wouldn't have to put as much the time we think about, right? That your little ones need, absolutely need their parents. They cannot do many things by themselves. So you have to be fully there. But as they get older, hopefully what you've done is you've given them the tools they need to be able to function more independently. And that's also where you can reclaim some of your time. Like they do know how to make their own lunch. They do know how to study for their assignments or read. And so you don't have to physically sit there while they read. You can take that 15 minutes or 20 minutes that they're doing homework to decompress and do something for you. And I find that sometimes moms do feel like they have to be more hands-on. And I do think that's where, like you were saying, when moms don't don't feel like they have balance, they haven't fully let go of some of those aspects of motherhood that were needed when the child was younger. So that's also finding that balance, like readjusting and redefining your ideal definition of motherhood in the specific moment that your child is in. I know that you mentioned that in a part of why I asked you to come on the show. I know that you work primarily with black and brown women, mothers who are in the role of mothering. And how would you say their experiences is different from other cultural norms. So I don't want to stereotype 
because that is easy to do is to make an assumption that all black and brown women's experience is the same. So we're not a monolithic. So it does look different. I was talking a little bit about that earlier, about, again, it was always different where Black women, for instance, had to work more and things like that. That was an example. But if I talk about in today's society, the biggest thing, and I feel like this is the part that's painful to say, the big challenge that Black women face, that I talk about this with my clients, discrimination, racism, sexism, that really is it that oftentimes there's this layer of, I don't just get to exist in the world as a free person, a woman or a mom. I'm a black mom. <laughs> I'm a, a black mom of a black son. Mm-hmm. So that if we add layers, it's my black teenage son. I am now having to carry this additional maybe stress or burden around, is my son or child safe because they are a black person in this world? So those are some of those nuanced things where it's not quite something you can capture and put your finger on because it doesn't necessarily mean that the person is waking up in the morning thinking that, but unconsciously, or sometimes if I'm just sitting, I know I have one client whose son just turned 16 and he's driving. And so that was her thing. My son's out here, he's driving now and he's in my car. So I'm worried when he's out and about. A non-Black mom is going to worry about her 16-year-old who's driving around, of course. But does a white mom necessarily have in her thinking that he might be stopped by the police and lose his life? No one wants to talk about that, but that really is the underlying thing. Of course, every mom, I think, is going to worry about their child when they first start driving. But now we've added a layer of race that that is very specific and unique to Black women. So that's one example. Or my young Black son who's having behavioral issues and the teacher keeps calling me about my son's behavior. And we know that there is this stereotype, this thing in schools where little Black boys are often seen, even when they're not misbehaving. We've seen a study, a research study, where they told people to look out for the behavioral issues that a kid is having. And they have all these kids. They have a little Black boy, I think a Black girl, white girl. They have a couple different kids in the study. And they say to chuck for kids that are misbehaving. And when they go and they look at the tape, people are looking and they essentially, they identify that little Black boy is misbehaving more often. And in the research study, really none of the kids are misbehaving. Like that's the whole gist of it. Nobody's misbehaving, but people still see the little black boy and him doing those things as misbehaving. So then you have black moms who are now at work getting phone calls that their little black son is misbehaving. And now what? Teachers calling every day, the teacher sending text message, right? That's a different layer of stress and added layer of concern that some mothers, other mothers from other races wouldn't necessarily have to face. Not all, because again, we always are going to have exceptions to the rule, but these are examples that I think are unique to the Black experience. I remember a time when uh, my son was five and... I got a call saying, we we see some things going on with your son. We want to talk to you about it. So I'm already holding my breath a little bit because of the additional layer that's there. So I go in and because of the additional layer, I don't even know how to even, I'm trying to sugarcoat it and I just can't. So I remember when dealing with that layer, I was being told that my son, they were listing things 
down the list, ABCs and things of that nature, how they felt like he was delayed, how they felt like he was this and that. And I'm listening to them. So after I finished listening to them, I told them about all the things that my son is doing. Like I told them, I said, I'm not trying to be difficult. And I shared with them some of the things that he was doing. He was in martial arts. I had him in a tutoring program and he was excelling. And I knew that he was reading above where he was at for kindergarten and all these other things. And by the time I finished that, because then I also brought paperwork with me. I think that's a little bit different than what other people have to experience. I had to bring what, what we call today receipts to prove that what they're thinking is not what they're seeing. What they're thinking isn't correct. And it wasn't until after I did that, they did a 180. And then all of a sudden, oh, he's this, he's that, he's this, he's that. And my son, he's played five instruments at one time. Like within his lifetime, like he's played five different instruments. My son is borderline gifted and he excels it pretty much he, anything he does, he excels at it. I'm not trying to brag on my child. Oh, I am. I am. I'm a brag. My child is pretty awesome. He just is. And he's one of the kindest, most respectful people. And basically what I was told is that my son was going to be a thug. Pretty much that's what they told me. And I think that's a layer that might be different for others when they go in. You're fighting that stereotype even before you sit down at the table to have a conversation with these other individuals. So I totally agree that as a Black woman, and it's also in research as well, audience, that there is some disparities that are not fair are not correct about different populations and you're fighting an invisible layer and you almost have to wear a different shield, go in with different shield and a sword to do that. Because when I got called for meetings, I knew I had to have things together to prepare for the meeting in addition to what maybe others would have to do. That was just my experience. So I agree that it's a little bit different just because of that. Linnea, can you share with us maybe some resources that you could share with the other moms that are out there that could help them when they're feeling a little bit like they need that extra support? So on the mental health side, if I could give a resource, I would say Postpartum Support International. And I guess you can maybe give them yeah, that information specifically. But so Postpartum Support International is is a great resource. It's really where the training comes in for the clinicians and, and people who would essentially be your therapist, right? So people that really specialize in perinatal mental health disorders, that's where the training comes from, their certification. So that website actually is a great resource because they offer things like support groups that are free and they're online and international. So they're accessible across the U.S. and beyond. They also offer resources like for dads, too. So I know we, this conversation is around mothers, but oftentimes the dad or the partner is also involved or wants to know more about how to support the mom. So they offer resources in that way. So if we're talking about um, more on that side of emotional support, mental health, I would always say maybe start with somewhere like that because that they have done the groundwork, the legwork. 
They also have a hotline. So if your mom is struggling and needs someone to talk to right away, they have a hotline. So that's a really good like resource that is accessible and then will take you to places and give you more information. If we're talking about on the other side, like what we mentioned before about the hands-on, you need a military and you need support resources. So when I'm working with clients, I usually just start with the basics. Who are your friends? Who's in your community? Do you have someone at work that you, someone who who's familiar? So think about people who are new moms. And every now and then I'll get one person who says they don't have anybody. There's nobody around, nobody nearby. They don't have any friends. They moved to a new city. So in those cases, I have my things about social media, but at this day and age, it is a resource. And so what you can often find is local mom groups in your area. So I'm in Baltimore. There's so many like new moms groups. They have Baltimore City kids groups. So those are going to give you resources like, hey, there's an activity. There's, you know, now uh, fall time. So they have pumpkin picking and apple picking. So you'll find information like that. And so sometimes just getting out the house is what's happening. You, you're a new mom and you've been stuck at home with the baby. I remember telling people it feels like your brain turns into mush when you're just talking with the baby all day. <laughs> so you need to talk to an adult human, someone who can have a conversation back. So sometimes it's just getting out the house in that way. So I would definitely recommend things like that. If you don't have family, if you don't have friends, if you don't have a support system, then you do have to build your own. And I know that can feel hard, but my recommendation is to start small, start with a, a more local community. So in your city or town or your local state, like a, again, with I'm using Baltimore because that's my frame of reference, but in Maryland, they often have those air pockets, right? There's Baltimore, there's Columbia, Maryland. So you have those pockets. And so I would just recommend that you just do a quick look up and see if there's any local mom groups where you can do some meetups. And then from there, you would hopefully build relationships with those moms and relationships with the community that you're in so that you can have that built-in community as you grow as a mom and as your baby grows. That's great. Those are great resources. I know for myself, community is a big deal. I'm big on community. As a matter of fact, when I share that information with clients, especially if it's a mom, I talk about community. Mm -hmm. There's that phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. And that's true. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you as we conclude is, do you have any upcoming projects, anything coming up that you'd like to share? I know that your practice is, is locally it's in Baltimore and that it's virtual, but did you have any resources or any future projects coming up that you'd like to share with the audience? Sure. So my practice is Melanated Women's Therapy, LLC. It's virtual and I am open always <laughs> in that way to see women and to help. I don't just see mothers. So when you, we talked about mothering is not just about being a birth mother. It also is about caretaking and taking care of other people. So I provide support in that way. But what I've also shifted into in terms of your question and projects, I've actually embarked on this journey. As I shared in the beginning, I've told my story in different ways since having my daughter in 2018. And so after having my daughter and having that experience, I really became curious about other people's experience. So have other people experienced birth trauma? Have other people had challenges during their pregnancy and noting their experiences? And in my conversations, I've learned that many people have and many Black women have. And it was 
really something that felt like a necessity. Like I need to get this story out there. And if I'm feeling this way or other women feeling this way. So I am actually currently working on an anthology and the anthology really gives a voice to, to black women, to their experiences of, again, motherhood and mothering and knowing what you were asking earlier, what's a good mom and what are some things that a maybe characteristics of a good mom. Is there any such thing as a good mom? And so what I think this book does is it allows women to tell their story from their perspective, their near narrative, and it allows them to talk about the challenges, the difficulties that they have or have experienced as a mom, but also really how they're healing from it. We're not all healed. I think this journey is a process. So it doesn't mean that everyone is again perfect or People have figured it all out, but what it is that they we are on this journey together. We're trying to figure out. We all are in it, trying to figure it out as we go. And the title is "Mothering as a Work of Art" because of that. Mothering isn't something that is laid out for us. There isn't a quote unquote a book <laughs> that tells you how to be a good mom, but it just is a living, breathing experience. And I think we've talked about that throughout this. There's been nuggets where we talked about it changes as your children get older. It changes when you get older. It changes if you have a partner versus if you're doing it alone. So those are some of those things that stand out for me in terms of this is a, it's a work of art. There's no perfect way of doing it. And as we've been talking about, and specifically with Black women and Brown women, our experiences are often different. And I think they're also there's a lot of stereotypes about our experiences. And so I think this is an opportunity to tell the truth, <laughs> to tell your true story from your perspective without having someone else tell it. Um, and it's not just this one monolithic story, but it's a narrative of many different women. I love this project. It's amazing. Yeah. So listen, if you're interested in getting more information about this book, we'll have that information in the show notes. If you would like more information about Dr. Richardson, I will have her information out there on the show notes, as well as the link to her website so that you can look more at her website. And you're not just limited to the DMV area, correct? You could see people outside of Maryland. Yeah. So I am a psychologist and I actually am registered with the Psych Pack. So for those who are familiar, it allows psychologists to practice across the U.S. using teletherapy. And there are 39 states right now that are approved. So it, you can do a quick look up and see which states have approved this, but pretty much across the U.S. So th that's exciting for me that it's not limited to just Maryland, but really pretty much across the U.S. Yeah. If we touch something when throughout our conversation, we were all over the place. But if we touch something and you'd like that support, Linnea, this is something she has a passion for and she is accepting clients at this time. So, Dr. Richardson, I want to thank you for coming onto the show. I want to thank you for sharing your heart and your passion with us. And audience, I want to thank you for listening to us during this time. My hope for you is that as we continue to move forward, that you'll get a little nugget of more healing, a nugget of a resource that will help you, or something that you can share with someone else to help them in their journey. In everything that you do, my hope is that you'll have a better experience and experience more joy in your life. We look forward to seeing you on the next Elisha Space. Thank you for sharing with us.
Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll subscribe so we can keep the conversation going. Now go move forward in your healing journey.